Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Maybe you've had some bad luck with your summer vegetable garden, and maybe you want to start over. Is late July too late for warm season vegetable planting? Well, yes and no. We have tips for what to plant in the middle of the summer. One reason a garden might be failing now, and it's the number one reason, improper irrigation. We have advice for watering smartly to keep your garden thriving. Let's think ahead a little bit. What are you going to do with your vegetable and flower beds later this year? Now's the time to start planning for cover crops. It's all on episode 122 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, Farmer Fred. My name is Terry. I'm from the Rogue Valley, which is in Southern Oregon. I have a question about what vegetables I can grow later in the season. I recently fostered some goats and they destroyed my raised beds. I would still like to be able to have something. Can you point me in the right direction? Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Terry, for that question from Oregon. We have somebody here with Oregon gardening experience. You know her, you love her. Debbie Flower, our retired college horticultural professor, is here. Now, where Terry is, Debbie, in south-central Oregon. Right, pretty far south. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and sort of near Medford, a little east of Medford. Mm -hmm. That would be probably, I would think, a warmer climate than you would find, say, up north in Oregon and Portland. Mm, I think it's about the same, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. A USDA zone eight, and I, Portland was where I lived, so that might be why Fred brought that up yeah. and gardened and worked at an ag experiment station. Uh, USDA zone eight is what I think Terry is living in based on maps we looked at. And that is um, has a Minimum temperature between 20 and 10 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter. That's how the USDA zones are decided is what the average annual low temperature is. That's all that that they take into consideration when they divide uh, the country, the U.S., into USDA zones. And then they're split into USDA A and USDA B. I don't know if he's in a zone A or a zone B. B is warmer than A and the difference is that the low range they give you is is five degrees on, instead of ten. So if he's in a USDA zone eight A, then the average low is ten to fifteen degrees Fahrenheit in the winter. If he's in a USDA zone eight B, then the average low is between fifteen and twenty degrees Fahrenheit. So all we know or believe to know is that he's in a zone. Eight, and so his average low in winter is between 10 and 20 degrees Fahrenheit, which kills a lot of plants, kills annuals, kills tropicals, mm-hmm. kills semi-tropicals that are not protected just by freezing the water that's in the cells and then they explode because they don't have a protection against that. But he can certainly grow lots of annuals. It's a great Mediterranean climate. It has dry, sunny summers and irrigation is necessary, but 
I loved gardening in USDA Zone 8. It, I, I felt it had a tremendous range of crops that you could grow. Now, goats are, <laughs> will eat almost anything. Yes. So I can. Uh, I bet that was sad to watch the garden be decimated by a bunch of goats. So right now, July, July is not a great time to start planting anything in the garden, maybe a few radishes from seed. The Because it's too hot? Because it's too hot, right. The average annual first frost, which is would mean the first time that the area would reach 32 degrees Fahrenheit and water would freeze, is uh, listed as September 26th for USDA Zone um, 8. And so that's pretty early. That's not too far off from July. That leaves some limited options. One is that you wait until August. It's only about a week or so away uh, and plant seeds for the fall crops. So the fall crops being what we call the cool season crops. Kale, lettuce, spinach, broccoli, peas, turnips, parsnips, cabbage, cauliflower, uh, beets, carrots, and some can be started from transplants, some can be started from seed. That's But for right now, if Terry wants to put something in the garden right now, I would visit my favorite good quality nursery and see what of the summer crops are left, uh, you might end up buying a really big tomato plant. Uh, hopefully with about 60 frost-free days left, it would be a cherry tomato plant. That mm-hmm. way you're guaranteed tomatoes. I, I think I would avoid the beefsteaks. Right. And I'd probably avoid hot peppers. Sweet peppers, you could you, you could get away with buying uh, some of those now in nurseries. And the nurseries have been hanging on to these plants now for you know, f- three, four months and they've just been potting them up, you will pay a premium for those. Right. But if you really want tomatoes and peppers, go ahead. I think it's too late for squash because those are normally planted from seed. Right. And squash don't do well in containers. They easily become root bound and then they are stunted. So, yes, I agree. No squash. All right. And I guess with the cool season crops, planting from seed, yeah, do that in August, but it's probably too early for transplants. You might want to do that in September. Right. You're going to have to wait for them other people will be planting them from seed, and then you can go to the nursery and buy them in September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, other, uh, the other thing was uh, get some goat fencing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or, or don't be so kind uh, as to, <laughs> to foster them. Um, but the, the, there is – he could look into season extenders as well. Season extenders would be some kind of draping coverage, frost, frost protection, uh, high tunnel uh, th- that would help extend the season – Maybe maybe into October. We don't understand everything that climate change is doing. So where he is located may get better, may get warmer, better meaning warmer in this case. Uh, and he may be able to grow them a little longer. And season extenders would help extend the amount of time before the plant was hit by a frost. We can protect plants from frost by using some Uh, floating row covers or frost cloths, as they're called, or having a more permanent structure like a greenhouse or a high tunnel. Terry, I hope that helps you. Uh, We are in sort of the uh, transitional zone here in in late July Mm -hmm. for a lot of crops, Um, but uh, good luck.
Yeah. And, and, and again, coat fencing. Thank you, Terry. <laughs> Terry has sent that question in via SpeakPipe. You can do it, too. It's really easy. You go to SpeakPipe.com slash Garden Basics. It's one word. And then yell your question at your phone or your iPad or whatever you use. And you can even use a telephone. You can call us and leave a message at 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. We love your questions, and we love hearing your voice here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, my pleasure, Fred. You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award-winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics Podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. I have this problem. I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun, which is a premium in my yard. And even five years later, I can pick up those smart pots, plant and all, and move them around without fear of the smart pot tearing or ripping. Smart Pot's breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. And smart pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy Smart Pots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the Smart Pots before you buy them. That's not a problem. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. By the way, if you too are thinking ahead about planting cool season vegetables, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a new video posted at their YouTube channel about choosing and planting many of the cool season vegetables that you might be considering. The downside? Oh, you're going to have to look at my face. Sorry. But there is a lot of good cool season veggie info to make up for that. Again, the video can be found at the Sacramento County Master Gardener YouTube page, and we'll have a link to that in today's show notes. Plus, coming up on Saturday, August 7th, the Master Gardeners have a full morning of garden presentations on their Harvest Day Zoom channel. I'll be one of the presenters, live from the Abutilon Jungle here at Barking Dog Studios in suburban Purgatory, answering your garden questions. That's Saturday, August 7th. And you need to register for this Zoom garden class. It's free. And you'll find a link in today's show notes. Or check out the Harvest Day page at the Sacramento County Master Gardener website, sacmg.ucanr.edu slash harvestday. Uh, like I said, there is a link in the show notes. Another option for your garden soil in a couple of months after the main season summer vegetables have run their course, planting cover crops. Let's find out now about the what, how, and why of cover cropping with an expert on the subject from Peaceful Valley Farm Supply. This was recorded a few years ago. If you've never experimented with cover crops, there are a lot of benefits for putting in what's called a cover crop during the fall for both gardeners and farmers. We're talking with the product development manager at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply in Grass Valley, Sarah Griffin Bubakar. And Sarah, what exactly are the benefits to cover cropping that people may not know about? Well, there's a lot of benefits. 
Um, it depends on why you want to cover crop. So there's lots of different reasons to use one. Um, they can obviously fix nitrogen. That'd probably be the number one benefit. It brings um, atmospheric nitrogen and puts it right in the soil, right where your plants can use it. Um, it also adds organic matter. So when you're amending your garden, the two only two expensive amendments are nitrogen, fertilizer, and organic matter like compost. So this uh, cover crop will do both of those. It also can suppress weeds over the winter and improve soil tilth and increase biology in the soil. Um, it can uh, reduce erosion. It can help with certain pest problems because it'll harbor beneficial insects. Uh, it can even provide winter feed for animals. Helps with crop rotation, which is very important, and it just it's more of a natural crop rotation. And it can increase water infiltration in the soil. Let's talk about that last point because uh, that's important for gardeners and farmers who who want to cut down the amount of irrigation they have to do. And that has to do with the deep-rooted nature of cover cropping, allowing the water to penetrate even deeper into the soil profile. Well, yeah, exactly. It will, it can be, especially some cover crops have very large roots like daikon radish. So you can plant daikon radish and as it grows, it busts through some hard uh, soils that would otherwise be hard to penetrate and allow the water to stay, go down deeper into the soil profile. While at the same time, it, all of those roots and all of that organic matter is like a sponge holding on to water. So if you have a healthy cover cropping system, then, yeah, over time, you would need to irrigate less and less. And as you mentioned, that by having a cover crop, you're providing, if you will, a good bug hotel for beneficial insects who may be inspired to spend the winter on your property. Absolutely. Cover crop doesn't necessarily have to mean a crop you put in between, you know, your succession planting. It can also be a hedgerow, so something along the, the border lines of your, of your garden area or your farming area that would work as a protective area for these beneficial insects. So it can provide uh, pollen for the pollinizing. A lot of our beneficial insects are pollinators when they're adults and they're voracious bug eaters as larvae. And so it'll pr provide habitat for them so that if you do have a pest problem in your garden, those beneficial insects are just lying in wait, waiting to gobble them up. There's a lot of confusion among gardeners and farmers about when you take out a cover crop or what do you do to a cover crop in spring when it's time to plant. Do you take it out? Do you just mow it down? What do you do with a cover crop? And at what point should you be cutting down a cover crop? Right. Well, that's a really good question. So there's a couple of different schools of thought on that. There's um, if you're a tiller, if you till, then there's one way to do it. And then there's if you're a no-till person. And no-till is, is pretty hip right now um, because of the, you know, maintaining the mycorrhizae in the soil. And so if you till, then you bust up all that mycorrhizae and it's hard for it to really get established mycorrhizae being the beneficial fungus in the soil. So the no-till method is pretty popular. Um, but the key thing to remember, whether you're tilling or not tilling, is that you don't want to cut the cover crop and just let it lay. Because if you let it lay, then all of that nitrogen that's in the plant, it's been sequestering. It's been grabbing from the atmosphere and putting it into the plant. It's all just going to go back into the atmosphere. And it can happen within minutes. Within an hour, most of that nitrogen has gone. 
So the key thing is that once you cut, you have to cover it, whether you cover it by tilling it into the soil or whether if you're doing a no-till, then you're going to cover it with another layer of something. So finished compost or something else. So just to keep that, that nitrogen in the soil rather than going back into the atmosphere. So the key is to cut the cover crop when it's about half in bloom, because if you allow the cover crop to go to seed, then you've got weed problems and not to mention a lot of that nitrogen that you've been keeping from taking from the atmosphere is now going into seed production. So all that energy, rather than going back into the soil as now fertilizer or green manure, is then going into seed production. So you don't want your cover crop to go to seed. So the key is to cut it when it's about half in bloom. So you just start to notice the blooms, about half the crop is in bloom, then you're going to cut it and immediately cover it, whether you're covering it by tilling it in or covering it with a mulch. Then you're going to wait at least three weeks if you're tilling, perhaps even longer, depending on how thick your mat is. Um, if you're doing a no-till, you're going to wait at least three weeks in planting to give the green manure a chance to break down. If you don't do that, it actually gets quite hot in the soil, and you can burn your seedlings or your seeds, and uh, nothing will grow for about three weeks until that's able to break down. It could be sooner, could be longer, depending on how active the soil biology is at the time. For both the small-scale gardener and the large-scale farmer, what are some alternatives for mulching that cut cover crop if you're practicing no-till? I mean, you can use straw, you can use alfalfa hay, you can use a finished compost, anything to cover up that, that layer of the green cover crop. You just really don't want it to go limp and have all the water come out of it because with the water will go the nitrogen. Let's talk about some various cover crops, and I imagine uh, it depends on what you're growing and uh, where you are and uh, what sort of soil you have. But among the the fall-sown cover crops, what are the most popular? Well, we have um, we have formulated here at Peaceful Valley. We formulated a couple of mixes that are really popular. Um, they are we call them soil builder mixes because they will build your soil if you use them every year. And the soil builder mixes have a mix of grasses and legumes. So the legumes are those nitrogen fixers. So that's the ones that we've mainly been talking about as fixing nitrogen. But grasses also have a lot of benefits, mainly being just a lot of biomass that they they grow quickly and put a lot of organic matter into the soil. Soil builder mixes have vetch and bell beans, which are a kind of fava bean. So they they grow really well in the cold weather. Um, and the vetch is like a vine, and it climbs up the bell beans, and it climbs up. There's also white oats and peas in there, and the they, peas and the vetch use the oats and the bell beans as scaffolding to climb up. So it'll be quite the tangled mess, ideally. Um, it'll be full of beneficial insects, ideally, and um, and then when you chop it down, you want to do that before it's fully blooming. And I imagine when you chop it down, you want to do it in segments of no more than 6 to 12 inches before you take it to the ground. Right. Well, hopefully you're, by the spring, your cover crop is quite lush and prolific. And so you want to chop it up as much as possible because the more it's chopped up into little pieces, uh, the quicker it breaks down. And so 
you will chop it up and then either till it in or cover it up. So maybe uh, mowing it after you've chopped it up would help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Key is to really cover it up. This mix that you're talking about, your premium uh, soil builder mix, uh, can get rather high, can't it? About what, four to six feet? It can, yeah. So what I use is I use a weed whacker when I go to, to chop it down. And I'll just chop, like you said, the top six inches, then do another layer, then do another layer um, until it gets down to the ground. And what is the application rate for the garden? What is the application rate for a farm? Let's see, you're going to do three to five pounds for a thousand square feet for the soil builder mix, keeping in mind that because it is a lot of different sized seeds, seed spreaders can be a little bit challenging because you've got the smaller vetch seeds and the larger um, bell beans and, and that. So it will be a little bit harder to spread. Also, it's not pre-inoculated. And so if you add it, if you add the inoculant, it can get a little bit sticky. So I usually just spread it by hand. Um, now, if you're a farmer, you it's 70 to 120 pounds per acre, depending on how rich your soil is. Obviously, if your soil is, is quite poor, you're going to go the higher application rate. In that case, using a more professional grade seed spreader would be best, or even a seed driller. If you're drilling the seed then it would be, you could go the lower application rate as well because you'd have more germination. What depth is ideal for planting the seed? Well, because it, it's tough, like I said, because it's so many different sized seeds, you don't want to go too deep. So I would only go about a quarter inch deep because of the vetch mainly as the smallest seeds and the oats as well. So you don't want to go too deep. I'd say a quarter inch to a half inch deep at the most. A lot of people just spread it over the top and that works too. Does it need irrigation after planting or can you just wait for the fall rains to begin? It really depends. Um, A big mistake what I see a lot of people do um, while they, oh, I just didn't have success with my cover crop. Well, usually it has to do with irrigation because you do, it is a seed that needs to, all like all seeds, it needs to be completely moist the whole time. And so if it's allowed to dry out, then the seed will just die. And so I like to time it when, right when the fall rains have started, but the soil is still warm. If the soil is too cold when you plant it, then the seeds won't germinate or they'll take a really long time to germinate. So you ha- you have to time it right. Sometimes Mother Nature doesn't cooperate with you with the timing and the fall rains will come later or they'll come too early when you're here, the rest of your crop is still in. You can irrigate to get the timing right. You have to keep the soil completely moist while it's germinating. Once it's germinated, you can let it dry out in between, especially because it'll be cooler and so you don't need to water as often. But you still need to pay attention to dry spells. And if it is, if we do have a dry spell, which oftentimes we do in January in particular, is a pretty dry month most most often. So, you know, giving it a good drench once a week or so, even when it's cold, you don't really need much more than that. Well, that will really help the, the cover crop thrive and you'll get the most out of it. So I guess ideal planting time for this, really, it depends on the weather, but basically uh, sometime between Labor Day and Halloween. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty safe. I mean, you don't want to get your crops, your summer crops out too soon because you want to really, you know, maximize how much you get out of them. But then there there comes to be a point where, you know, those tomatoes, while you may, may still have some green tomatoes on the plant, if the tomato is really suffering and, and not looking very healthy, you got to pull it out sooner rather than later because otherwise you're just inviting pest problems. Peaceful Valley has a, a wide array of cover crops and cover crop mixes, and you can check out what they have online at groworganic.com. It's all about cover cropping. Sarah Griffin Bubakar is the product development manager at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply. Sarah, good talking with you and happy cover cropping. Thanks. You too, Fred. Well, would you like to be a garden show host? Well, here's a tip. Whenever anyone contacts you with a plant problem that isn't readily apparent, such as insect or animal damage, blame water. 95% of all plant problems are the result of either underwatering or overwatering. Even plant diseases can be the result of improper watering as well, especially overhead watering. Improper watering is the number one cause of plant failure. Knowing how wet the soil is at the root level can help you keep your plants healthy. Now keep in mind, different plants have different watering needs. But learn those needs, then group the plants together with similar watering requirements when designing your landscape. That's called hydrozoning. So what are the signs of not enough water at the root level of plants? You have wilted leaves in the morning. Or you have wilted leaves in the afternoon. Or you have wilted leaves in the evening. Or all three. Maybe red-brown margins of the leaves, premature fall color of leaves, there's growth reduction, there's leaf drop, there's branch dieback. What about too much water? What are the signs of that? That's also called, by the way, aeration deficit, meaning too little air down at the root zone. The soil has a foul smell like rotten eggs. That's a sign of too much water. The soil is a blue-gray color. There's yellowing, wilting, and or dropping of leaves. There's limited new growth and small corky outgrowths on the undersides of the leaves. Now, you may have noticed that uh, the symptoms of overwatering and underwatering can be the same, such as leaf wilting. And symptoms of soil water problems may actually be another problem that was caused by your watering regimen. Root rots, for example, thrive in saturated soils. Frequent light watering is not a good idea. That leads to shallow rooting and increases the chances of plant problems. Avoid planting turf species, your lawn, that require frequent watering, such as bluegrass or ryegrass. Design your landscape to minimize water runoff onto hard surfaces and into storm drains. To reduce runoff, install non-irrigated buffer areas, which include water-efficient plants or permeable features next to sidewalks or on slopes, like an area of mulch with some plants in it. And by the way, that uh, demilitarized zone of mulch before your lawn begins, that'll also cut down on dog damage, if you catch my drift. Be sure to aerate any heavy or compacted soil so water can easily move down to reach the grass roots. Install an irrigation system that you can adjust to properly water areas of your landscapes that have different requirements, a lot of zones, and a lot of very flexible sprinkler heads that allow you to redesign the path of the water, such as the MP rotator heads. Water only when your lawn needs it. Water requirements vary according to turf species, location, and the month of the year. Basically, most lawns need water when the top two inches of soil have dried out. 
Shady and sunny areas, as well as different soil types, will have different watering requirements. Deeper, less frequent watering is best for most lawns. And you only need to water a lawn two to three times a week. If you think you have to water your lawn every day to keep it green, there's something else that's wrong with your lawn. Maybe you're mowing too short. Keeping the blade on your mower high allows for more root depth and it also shades the soil, keeping more moisture in. Make sure your sprinkler system isn't producing runoff, especially on slopes. If you see runoff, use shorter watering times and repeat the cycle to allow time for the water to move into the soil. Water early in the morning when evaporation and wind are minimal. How many times do you see sprinklers on in the late afternoon? Not only is it hot, it's also more windy, which means an increased amount of evaporation. And be sure to adjust your watering schedule seasonally. Shut off your irrigation system during rainy weather. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.